Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What a Effort to keep the podcast interesting. Transfer rumors have blown up today. This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, it is one of those things where you wake up and you grab your phone because that's how we live now, right? Not good morning, honey, good morning, kids. It's where's my phone? Get me on social media. Because it's always possible that Arsenal are playing a football match and you don't know about it. That did happen to me the other day. I was able to get uh, to a, a streaming device and watch Arsenal Watford, and we will definitely talk a bit about that. But, but the transfer rumor mill is heating up, and I'm just trying to figure out the formation that we're going to put all these players in. Can Odegaard and Madison play together, or will we rotate them? Will Bruno Guimarães uh, rotate in with Lakanga? Will Latoro Martinez play alongside Aubameyang? These are the decisions we are going to have to make because all these transfers will, in fact, happen. And I am excited to discuss that, plus the game with Clive. You can find on Twitter, of course, at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, and Tim, you can find him on Twitter. So, hello, Tim. Hello there. And joining the podcast today from She Knows Arsenal, and you've seen her on our live streams, and now you'll hear her on the podcast, it's Jessica Black at It's Jessino. Hello. Hey. Hey. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a fun day to talk transfer rumors, and we do it for the clicks. We do it for, we do it for the culture, and mainly for the clicks, but also for the culture. So we're going to talk transfers. What I want to do in this discussion it's not just discuss the transfers, but I want to preface it with each person giving me their one to five star rating of the rumor. In other words, one star being like Ishtar, the movie, um, you know, uh, what was the duck movie with Eddie Murphy? Something the duck. What was that? Where he went to space? I, I, well, I, why did I even bring it up if I can't remember the name of it? Uh, but in other words, bad movie. Then five stars can be, you know, like whatever you consider a five star movie to be. What do the kids think of a, as a five star movie now? Avengers Endgame? I don't know. Those are the only movies they make anymore. Wizard of Oz? Really? Blazing (laughs) Sand. Let's all age ourselves. Jess, can you name a movie that was made post-2000 so that we can have uh, a reference that kids will understand? Uh, Frozen? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Well, I've seen Frozen and Frozen 2, and I've seen all the shorts that they made because, you know, I have children. Anyway, um, let's get into the rumor mill. I think one of the fun ones to discuss first because... It's the position that a lot of us think is of most importance, and that is central midfield. Granite Shaka is nearing Roma. Now, I don't know about you guys, but like you can just fly there and get off the plane and you're there. I don't know why these players keep nearing something. You know, if he gets halfway closer every day, he will still never get there. Just get on a plane and fly to Rome, Shaka. But Clive, I'll let you pick one to five stars where one is Ishtar and five is, as you said, Blazing Saddles, which is a movie from 1470. Um <laughs> How many stars do you give the Bruno Guimaraes, Tim? Is that even close? Bru- yeah, yeah, that's good. Bruno Guimaraes rumor, and how badly do you want this 
progressive carrying, progressive passing, all scanning, Leonez midfielder from Brazil. Well, firstly, Tim was being kind by your pronunciation. And I think um, I, li- I like it from a, I like it four out of five, but I'll give it a two star rating. Um, two star in terms of truthfulness. Yeah, okay. but I'd like it to be more because um, he's a nice player. He's one that we've been linked with before. And he's, we were talking yesterday, weren't we, about what that position looks like. And I think it's fast becoming obvious it's the deep line playmaking player we're looking for. Somebody who can play through, always on the always there on the end of the triangle, release valve, waiting to play, lots of passes, chips, floats through the lines. And we're not so worried about that player being a true stick-on defender. I think that's what it's looking like now based on the rumours, but I could be wrong. And so my Basuma stuff, I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think he's a playmaker enough from that position. I think he's more defensive, that can do things on transition. But I think we're looking for somebody who's ball-hungry. And Grimarius um, is definitely that very nice, neat player. Looks very, you know... Very scan-heavy, always available, really, really promising. I was saying to Tim beforehand, I wasn't sure, I haven't seen him for a few months, but when he was linked before, I wasn't sure he'd be strong enough for Arsenal, but maybe someone's got more up-to-date sort of feedback on him, but I like the player, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's some people saying, you know, maybe not the fastest player, but, you know, it's interesting. I remember Cesc Fabregas doing a training exercise once where it was a cone drill, and he was up against, it was like a a race, and he was up against someone much faster than him, but because of his intelligence using the ball and, you know, his, his thinking on the ball, he was able to complete the drill quicker, and... You can get point-to-point faster if you've scanned the space ahead of time and know where you need to go. And reading some scouting reports about Bruno Guimaraes, Guimaraes, <laughs> he, uh, he scans, he, you know, he knows what's going on around him. He receives the ball knowing the position of the players around him, and that can make up for a lack of athleticism. I think if you look statistically at his pr- progressive carrying, he definitely will step past a defender and, and go forward with the ball at his feet. So that, you know, that certainly indicates at least that he can move the ball forward more than one way, which is something that I think we we would love to add to our midfield. I don't know defensively if it's exactly what we're looking for, but what I think is exciting is he's 23, right? It The rumored price of 30 million isn't t- terrible. And it does look that when we're looking outside the Premier League, we have some interesting options to get some good value from players the right age, the right profile. Tim, you are our resident Brazil watcher. So um, is he is he with the national team now and playing? How, how's he look? And what's the reputation uh, back home in Brazil for this player? Yeah, sure. So he's playing for the Brazil Olympic team at the moment. He's been, I think, comfortable, well, along with uh, Richarlison, comfortably their best player during this tournament. And, and that's not a huge surprise. He's very highly rated in this group and he's seen as someone who really should be in the senior squad as well. But Brazil are really well stacked in that position. They always are historically um, it's very, very important to their their systems that they have that good defensive midfielder and you can draw a line through their history for brilliant defensive midfielders. And they're, they're quite well stacked there now with Casemiro and they've started playing uh, Douglas Luiz as well. Um, but Guimaraes is, is, is a really, really lovely player. Uh, great passing range. But the, the thing is as well that I'm, I'm quite enthused about with this link. And so to, to give it a star, I'd give it three star as a link. So the the woman who reported it, Haisa, she's very reliable. Um, she reports on Flamengo and the Brazilian national team. 
Um, and she's, yeah, she's she's got contacts. So I believe that we're interested. Whether that means it will happen, don't know. But I, I, I'd give the Arsenal are interested a four or a five. Mm. Um, just a case of whether it will happen. I'd also say, obviously, Edu knows the player uh, from Brazil, but he's also quite chummy with, um, with Leon um, as well, who've got... Uh, a lot of Brazilians in their technical director department, so he's he's certainly got some links there. The the thing I really like about about uh, Bruno, a- along with like Laconga and Ben White, is it seems like we've we've kind of switched focus rightfully to guys who can distribute, but guys who can take the ball for a walk as well. Because what what we've had is Shaka and Louise, who are great distributors. But they can't go anywhere with a the ball. They're they fixed have to points stand. on the pitch. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to stand in their space. And if you block a pass off for Xhaka, that's it. He can't go anywhere. Whereas someone like Laconga, Ben White, they can go, okay, there's no angle at the moment. What if I what if I run forward ten yards? What if I get the ball on a lead and take it for a little walk? Does the space open up then? And that's something that, that Bruno Guimaraes can do as well. Um he's he's got that kind of ability to to drive forward 10 yards and then look for the pass, which which is a real, I think, a really positive sea change and something I'm really positive about seeing next season, about getting that defensive line higher up and just having slightly more dynamic distributors. And, and this guy is very much within that range. And this is this is the um, the link that I'm the most excited about, largely because I, n- I never thought Locatelli would actually happen. Yeah. Um, but I'd, I'd much rather take Bruno than than Ruben Neves, for example. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, Jess, like we're looking at players now where if you think about them as a core, as a group, suddenly there's a real plan here. And the plan reminds me of just that teeniest little bit of the way Liverpool did this because if you have a 23-year-old Ben White and a 23-year-old Grimaresh and a 23, 24-year-old Tierney and 20-year-old... Smith Rowe and 20-year-old Saka and 20-year-old Martinelli and, you know, I could go on and on, but you get the point, you know, Lakanga, who's 21, I believe, you know, and then then those couple little components that are a little older, Thomas Party, you know, more senior member of that group, Oba's going to age out of that pretty quickly, but they all start to hit their prime around the same time. You've got a midfielder, a uh, a fullback, a center back, another center back and Gabriel hitting that prime all at the same time. Those kids just behind him getting ready to enter their prime and they can grow into a core unit together. So I like seeing that. As far as Grimoresh, I mean, do you think his his traits make him the the fabled party partner that we've been looking for? And also if you could give me your one to five star rating, whether this is uh, a bad movie or your favorite movie Frozen. Yeah, I, I like this player a lot. Um, I actually I, wanted I need, him. I to, need your stars, though. I got I got to have your stars. On you have the stars first. Truthiness. Yeah. Stars mm-hmm. first. Yeah, I would say I'm actually going to give it a little bit more. I think four out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I yeah. I think just because the Locatelli thing is is not happening, he fits the profile from an age perspective. Um, just how he plays, the price and the availability. He's somebody that feels gettable. And I think, you know, for a team that's outside of Europe, that's trying to rebuild, um, as much as we don't maybe like this, this is kind of our level. These are the types of players that we need to be looking at where, like you already said, Elliot, in a couple of years, they'll all hit their prime at the same time. And then we can really start challenging for stuff. So, for me, this feels, it feels attainable. 
it's attractive. And when you look at him, I know there's some people that are like, well, what about Basuma? Well, the thing about Basuma that I feel maybe is a little bit unfair, but when you look at the way that he plays for Brighton, he's not really a progressor of the ball. He's more of just like a traditional six that just nips the ball from defenders and things are offensive players and, and things like that. Whereas Bruno does that, but he also has the progressive aspect of his game, which makes him more well-rounded. And even Sambi is more well-rounded than even, I think, Thomas Party is even at his young age. So I think what we're seeing is a pivot away from, you know, those really, um, those players that are kind of, yeah, they're more one-dimensional. We're looking for more well-roundedness and he, he fits that. So I'm, I'm saying four out of five because I'm, I'm quite positive and I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm loving it. So I'm going for it. But, um, from a, I mean, if you just look at it, he ticks a lot of the boxes, doesn't he? So I think this is something that I'm hoping, you know, materializes in the next couple of days because the season starts in like two weeks. <laughs> it, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's coming up so fast. I, I think because we had moved the transfer deadline back at that one part where, uh, what was it one was it only one season we moved it back to where the deadline was the start of the season and you know I, we, I liked that I liked the idea that your team had to be settled by them but I understand why that didn't really make sense vis-a-vis what was going on in the rest of Europe so now we're back to having to remember that your business doesn't have to be done when the season starts but certainly it can be very helpful to have a settled team but you still have to do the best business you can do and rushing it to be ready for the season and getting it wrong I don't think is the way to go one deal that continues to be prevalent, we'll get to some of the more exciting ones, uh, the Odegaard and Madison dichotomy, we can discuss that. But there is this Aaron Ramsdale rumor, and it won't go away. And it does seem to be driven on by Inaki Kana, who we all know loved Runerson. I saw something interesting posted in our Discord today that he wanted Runerson at Brentford when he was there. So maybe instead of thinking that Khan is just a fool, maybe he just had a soft spot for Runerson for some reason. We we all have our weaknesses. Um, in my in my younger years, I certainly paid for those, learned my lesson, and, and moved on to better things. So Clive, I, I want to talk Ramsdale. I think this is the one where we can all get into a big argument and be mad at each other, and I hope we'll avoid that. I do want to get your stars on how likely this is, but I think the Ramsdale rumor is a great opportunity for us to be disciplined about evaluating upside and evaluating downside and not trying to ignore either. If you hate the deal, at least be open to the idea of what the upside could be. But if you find yourself trying to sell yourself on the deal with the upside— we need to at least be open about why this might not be right. I've listened to a lot of pods and watched a lot of videos, read a lot of articles about him. So I feel fully prepared to go head to head with you, Clive, on this now. Uh, Out of five stars, you can give me your rating, but I I think you've been talking yourself into Ramsdale. I'm reading the tea leaves here. So, So where are you on this right now? No, I'm just looking at it from a holistic point of view. Um, of course you are. <laughs> there is, we need a goalkeeper. And it looks as though you want a homegrown goalkeeper. And if you want a homegrown goalkeeper who's quite young, he is the one. And there's nowhere else to look. And so that's that. If that's what we're doing, so if that's our plan, then we're looking in the right place. We've got goalkeepers, got potential. Do I think he's wonderful? I'm not so sure. He's got lots of potential and lots of people say good things about him. He's only going to improve. He's a child at 23 when it comes to goalkeeping. So he's only going to get better. So, yeah, I can see it. But then again, what I'm trying to do in my mind is say, okay, what's our plan? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to build a group of 23-year-olds? Not so like Liverpool, more so like Leicester, 
if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, with one or two sprinkled experienced players in the group, long poles in the tent to carry them along. Is that what we're trying to do? Because we like that, don't we? We generally like that. Um, we know Leno's really not enough a new contract two years ago, so this looks like somebody we're going to want to spend early 20s on and then put add-ons to make it a bigger number, depending on Champions League and where the league, etc., etc. And probably appearances. When you start to make massive appearances, they'll probably get another tranche of money. If we're in the top four, we end up paying £27 million for him. I don't think it's the end of the world. Not for a 23-year-old goalkeeper. So I can see the logic. I'm not talking myself into it. I can see the logic. Now, I've got a goalkeeper problem that they've sort of stumbled across and did to themselves. I look for a way out. So, you know, there's another goalkeeper, Athletic Bilbao, called Unai Simon. <clears throat> Excuse me, quite good, quite young, makes a few mistakes, comes out of his goal a lot. <laughs> um, he made one very, very high-profile mistake yeah, but at the he's, Euros. <laughs> but he's young, but he's very, okay, when you're young, you make these mistakes. Well, you, have to, you have to accept yeah, it, yeah. and I have to look past that and think, well, you know, he's very brave when the ball comes out a lot. And when Arthur linked him, I thought that looks quite good, and he makes mistakes. You think, okay, he's got to, he's got to wear it. He's got to wear it. Let's not, let's not pretend that Martinez was great when he was younger, because trust me, I've watched him a lot live, and everything that came at him went in. Right, so it's only when he went to Reading when he was about 26, 27, that it started to click for him. Then he came back, and then obviously we saw what happened. But when he went into our goal originally, I wasn't jumping for joy, but he's turned that completely around. He's full of confidence, and he is where he is. Right, so. We have to be patient here. So I'm not sure if we don't get him, what we're going to do and why would the other option be so much better? I'm prepared to go with the Leicester plan and say you want a group of young people together to grow together. It's what we've got to do to make that happen. Then I'm prepared to go with it. So I'm, I'm not saying I want him, but I don't recall in horror if we get him. If that makes sense. Mm. I, so I look at it this way, right? Everyone I've listened to who is a Sheffield United watcher, analyst, and, and there have been a lot doing the rounds, say the same thing. They really like him. He was their player of the season. He's not ready to be Arsenal's first choice keeper. Okay, fair enough. We would be buying him for what is roughly the fifth biggest goalkeeper transfer fee ever. And and that's okay. I mean, there can be inflation. I think post-COVID, I, I don't know how much inflation there should be. Certainly that inflation is based on what Sheffield United paid for him, buying him from England and the fact that he's homegrown. So there, there is a lot of that. I mean, we, we know that we can get keep, keepers a lot more cheaply from the continent if we wanted to. It does seem that Kana likes this guy, and he's sort of being given the reins over decision-making with a lot of money. And I, I do wonder if procedurally that's where you want to be. I think the thing that is difficult to me is shot-stopping is very important, obviously. But most of these keepers are pretty good shot-stoppers. You know, I, I think even Manuel Almunia, as much as I, I still get chills thinking about him, when he was busy, he saved most of his shots. I think the issue is stepping up from a place in Sheffield where, where he was very active and had a lot to do to a game where it's much calmer, much quieter, you're not as busy, you're not as active, and when you are busy, what you're more tasked with doing is playing with the ball at your feet. And at Sheffield United, no one launched the ball longer as a goalkeeper in the Premier League last season than Aaron Ramsdale. So we don't have a lot of data, a lot of background on what he's like with the ball at his feet. We'd be buying him for a big fee, a player who's, you know, to most watchers, not ready to be our first choice. Okay. Spending big on a guy who's not ready, who we don't know if he can pass the ball particularly well short. 
It's a lot of ifs, a lot of question marks for a big fee at a time. We don't have to do it. And I would say, if Leno's staying this season, and we don't have the perfect fit at keeper now to, to be his replacement, then punt it out till next summer when maybe the, the perfect option does arise. Or at least wait till the end of the window and see if Sheffield blink on their price if you're sold on this guy. Tim, I, I don't, I don't want to go too big on Ramsdale because goalkeeper's just not that exciting, but because it looks like we really want to do this, I feel like we have to give it its due. So do you want to give me your sense of how smart or not smart you think this might be and, and give me a star rating on how likely you think it is to happen? Yeah, sure. Star rating on how likely it is. I think I'll say a four. I do mm-hmm. think that this might happen also because it doesn't sound like at the at the moment that there are other clubs really in the mix, um, which would you know prevent a bidding war and, and maybe there's something we can string out. I do think we need to buy a goalkeeper this summer because if for no other reason that our current second choice is Runnison, um, and and we can't have that. And I think we've seen that uh, Okonkwo isn't ready yet. So I do think we need something there. And I do think it makes sense to have someone that you think will be... Like, like I see the sense in this, in that respect, that maybe Ramsdale isn't ready now, but in a year's time, when Leno will almost certainly go we want him to be ready for them. So there's, you know, a sense of succession planning. And we, we have done that before. We bought Leno when we still had Czech, um, for example, who granted was older than Leno, but but similar in that we knew he was on the way out. Um, so, we, we you know, there is there is precedent for doing that kind of thing. Obviously, we also tried to do it with Richard Wright under David Seaman, and that, that didn't work. And Meninga, you know, didn't quite work under Seaman. So th- there is precedent for it not working. But... I do think we need a goalkeeper and I do think it has to, like it can't be, I mean, if you're kicking the can down the road, you could do another Matt Ryan um, type deal. But really, if we're going to buy one, I think it's got to be one that we think can be the number one. But with, with my own eyes, I haven't been hugely impressed with Ramsdale. But the, the, thing I, the thing I keep kind of coming back to is that people inside the game seem to see it differently. Like, Two different clubs have spent quite big on him already. And, you know, he's getting called up to the England squad. Like, there does seem to be this feeling inside the game that he has got superstar potential. I, I can't lie. England, England love him, Tim. England yeah, love him. Yeah, I... I they, they, he'll be, he's going up the pecking order of England. What's his space? Yeah, I, I can't lie and say that I see it. But then again, I you know, goalkeeping is, is a little bit alien to me. Um, that there does seem to be something that suggests there's something there's something in this guy um, kind of waiting to get out. I, I agree with you, you know, how much do we know about things like his distribution and things like that. But if, if the, the way I'd look at this for my own sanity, I guess, is if this is what Arsenal really want to do and if they think this is really going to work, then they should go for it. And really, if they're not willing to pay more than, say, 30 million, they should say, well, actually... Is this the guy we really want? Like they, they've got to show that level of faith as well. So I, I do think it's a complicated one, but I do think we have to kind of sort this um, this this summer. Yeah, I, I guess I I think if you don't have the guy you absolutely love, Tim, I'm more in the camp of do another Matt Ryan type thing. Don't don't spend a huge sum just because you feel like you have to get someone if it's not the right person. Uh, you know, I would kick the can down the road if, if you don't love him. The, the issue they, they clearly do think he's the yes. right person, though. That's right. the kicker. Well, so, so let me make a point about that, right? When I was upset about moves like 
Cedric or Willian in particular. I was upset because that looked like really bad process to me. You're getting a, a post-prime guy on big wages into his absolute dotage in a position that wasn't a huge priority. It felt procedural, procedurally wrong. I think all of us agree we need a keeper. Leno's not going to stay at Arsenal. Keeper is a position we need. Targeting a 23-year-old homegrown keeper isn't bad. The, the difference here is this is a disagreement of scouting. This is di disagreement of talent ID. I can live with that. If Elliot Smith thinks Ramsey isn't good enough, who the hell cares if Arsenal think uh, Ramsey, Ramsdale, right? Aaron Ramsdale, Aaron Ramsey. You can, you can understand how it would happen, uh, right? So like, I'm much more open to mistakes of talent ID than mistakes of process because a mistake of process just says you just don't get it. You can't be signing 32-year-olds on huge wages that you don't really need. Uh, you know, oh my God, people are typing. The, the, the cat gif of tap scrambling for the key computer keyboard. Who, who did it? Who's the cat? It's Clive. It's Clive. Can I just add a scenario? Can I add a scenario? <laughs> okay, go. Yeah, please. Mm -hmm. Add a scenario, right? So Leno's two years to go in his contract, and I, and I don't see any contract negotiations ongoing. Do he you? doesn't want to I stay, and I think we're prepared to accept that outcome, yeah. Yeah, so that outcome's probably going to, we're probably going to do a deal with him and say, look, stay for one more year. We want you two to compete for number one shirt, and then next year you can build out your market and you can go next year. That's probably what's going to happen. So I look around and think, okay, we're playing early for a goalkeeper that's going to be our first choice in a year's time. If we kick the can down the road, and this could happen, by the way, Ramsdale might say, actually, I want to keep playing. I want to keep playing for Sheffield United. I don't want to sit on the bench and play 10 games. Right? So I want to keep playing. So that could easily happen. But if you do kick the can down the road, we're in a situation where we have an older goalkeeper as backup, for example. We have Leno. And then next season, we're looking at two goalkeepers we've got to buy. And Ramsdale may not be available. I slightly disagree. I take your point. But the reason I disagree, Clive, is you know me. I'm fine with the backup keeper being a, a Matt Ryan. I'm fine with the backup keeper being whatever you can find rummaging around in the dumpster behind the stadium. But, you know, maybe not everyone feels that way. Or, or, it's, a con or it's a Conquo, right? Or it's a young guy that you say, ideally, we don't have to use him, but he's the, he's the backup. Yeah, you know? well, that, that's, but that's your view, right? So yeah. I think this is their person. <laughs> right, I'm talking about next season, just to be clear. For this season, I yeah. don't think Oconquo can be can be back up. I think we'd have to solve it. Jess, well, let, let me ask you something really quickly about – or Clive, were you – you didn't finish your point, did you? Not remotely. Well, not really. No. It doesn't really matter. In the end, you, you don't – my opinions on goalkeeper are not the same, right? So I, I do think football is, is going to change in that position, and you're going to have two proper goalkeepers fighting out for number one shirt. Mm -hmm. And I don't see why we should have – dead bodies sitting there waiting to come on. We, it should be rotate like any other position. Really? So you have two good goalkeepers. That's, what, that's how I feel. Mm, okay. And I think Man United are doing it now. I think other teams are going to do more of it as well. And I think as we get back into Europe, I think having two good goalkeepers, it's not the end of the world. I don't, we, I don't think we should make it a special thing anymore. Interesting. I just don't think... No, that's interesting. Because the funny thing is, I think of keeper, and you know I hate soft factors, I think of it as a confidence position. One guy's got the shirt, and it's his position. And he doesn't have to worry that if he lets in a goal cheaply, he loses the shirt. Because, you know, if you make a mistake as a striker, you get to keep going. If you make a mistake as a keeper, there's nowhere to hide. Do you Should you lose the shirt for that? I don't know. I, I guess the other thing is, 
you know, the reason you need backup strikers and backup midfielders is they get injured, they can't play every three days, you have to use the backup. Keepers can theoretically play every single minute of the season. You don't have to use the backup. So it's possible you could spend 20 or 30 million on a backup, and if the starter is good, never, ever, ever need him, whereas your backups at other positions will invariably play. So, yep. Can I just add one more thing? Mm -hmm. Sorry, man, no, but I, need, I want to I want to change people's thinking on this. If you look at Leno's form towards the end of, well, start this season really when he had no competition, it wasn't as good as when he had competition. Everyone needs competition. If you know you can throw it in your net and you're going to play next week, that's not a good place to be. If we're trying to be really, really good. Don't be afraid of the competition. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it's it's a question of. Do you want to put big resources into a backup keeper knowing that the, the likelihood is that guy doesn't play unless you're doing the cup keeper thing? Um, well, well, Jess, before we move off the Ramsdale thing, real quick, I think in terms of my point that there are two types of mistakes a club can make, right? There's a mistake of process where you just do something that I think you shouldn't do. Like, for example, I thought re-signing Aubameyang was bad process. Because I don't think you should give a huge contract to a striker who's post-prime. You know, the Willian thing, I've said it already. Sometimes you make a mistake of scouting. Like, I thought the Torreira deal was a really smart deal. It didn't work because the player, you know, either wasn't good enough or emotionally couldn't adjust or, you know, was not used properly, however you want to say it. I think at the end of the day, you have to trust the club to, to find the people they like and sign them. So even though I'm against Ramsdale for certain reasons, the price being among them and not thinking he's necessarily at the level, would you at least agree that if he is the guy the Arsenal scouting team really likes and believes in, that on the whole, you can kind of get behind it in terms of him being young and homegrown and you know potentially a, a very good keeper if, if that's what they think he's going to be? Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is I want to see what this regime and Adu and Arteta believe is the future of Arsenal. So for me, I'm looking at the profiles that they're choosing and I want them to get those profiles, not for me, but so that we can see what an Arteta, Adu, Arsenal looks like. So we can decide then, you know, if this is the right direction to go into, if that makes sense. So I am kind of trusting them and saying like, well, you know, I actually don't know much about goalkeepers, to be honest, you know, I don't really pay attention to them. Cause like you said, it's not really the most exciting thing. So if all the experts are saying that Ramsdale is, is that good, then maybe he just is. And we just have to wait and see. My only real caveat to all of this is I agree with Pretty much everything that Clive said is that you can kind of see the process. The only time that it becomes an issue for me is if on September 1st, we have Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale and El Nenny is starting in midfield and we haven't signed Great a point. midfielder. Yep. You know, that's when it'll become like so that's when it doesn't make sense anymore to me. If we still get the other targets, then it makes sense. If we end up with just the center back and the goalkeeper and we miss out on other things because we spent $30 million on Ramsdale, then it starts to become an issue. Yeah, it looks like we're going to put £80 million into center back and goalkeeper, and no one will have a problem with that if the positions we regarded as priorities at the start of the summer get done properly. I think the order of operations makes it hard to evaluate these rumors because I think getting Ramsdale for $30 million to be the backup keeper this season wouldn't bother anybody if all the other business we regarded as a priority was done. So that is that is absolutely the right lens to look at it through. But then, Jess, that leads me to a position that I think is 
causing maybe the most consternation in a way, which is that number 10, that that attacking midfield option. Because the opinions range from my ridiculous one, which is we could kind of leave it and just go with Smith Rowe, who looks ready to totally break out. We could go pretty inexpensively with a talented guy like Awar. We could try to go back for Odegaard at maybe a reduced fee if he's not really clicking at Madrid, or we could go to the absolute top of the the price band with Madison, and a guy who I think both injury-wise and performance-wise, it's questionable whether that level is worth that price. So in terms of which direction you think we should go with attacking mid, A, which direction would you prefer us to go, and B, do you have a sense of which you think they're prioritizing? Well, the direction that I would prefer to go in is Madison. I prefer Madison. The The only thing with, with him really is that for me, I kind of feel if you, if you splash the cash on him, then yes, you will be taking maybe some different options, maybe some not so ideal options in other positions. I just can't really see us spending 70 million, whether we throw an Ainsley Maitland-Niles in there or not, and then still being able to address other things. So I keep that in the back of my mind. But I do think that from a profile standpoint, for me, he makes more sense because he scores more goals. And whoever comes in to kind of be that number 10 with Smith Rowe, I would prefer them to be a little bit more developed because for me, Odegaard and Smith Rowe are quite similar in where they are in their progression. And I don't think that's necessarily what we need. So I prefer Madison. That being said, if Odegaard walks through the door at 35, 40 million, I'm not batting an eyelid. I'm fine with that as well. We just have to remember that Odegaard is not quite as developed as Madison is. So we have two number 10s developing at the same time. And when you have developing players in your team, you have to expect to drop points for them to be inconsistent and, and things like that. So if that's what you're willing to, to deal with, that's fine. But just know that that could be the difference between top four, top six, Europe, and things like that. So it's a longer progression. But I'm actually not that... You know how you kind of say, Elliot, I'm, I don't have a strong feeling. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of feel that way about the number 10 position where if you brought a wall, I can see how that makes sense. Madison makes sense. Odegaard makes sense. But, you know, each one has its pros and cons. So, you know, just think about it that way. But I prefer Madison as a profile. Do I think it'll affect other things? Absolutely. So maybe Odegaard is the better choice just so we could spread the resources around a little bit better. Mm. I... The thing with Madison is just like, I think he's a good player. I think he's a good player. He's, is, is he an elite player? I mean, he's 24, he'll be 25 this season. So he's in his prime. The player we're buying is the player we're getting. And we're not getting him from so, some team that was bad where you say he'll be better on Arsenal. He was on a good team that attacked pretty well. And the last two seasons, he's put up expected goals of 4.9 and 4.4. And expected assists of 7.4 and 5.3. So you're looking at a guy who's a four and a half, five goal guy and a five, six, seven assist guy. And I would expect that he continues to be that coming from Lester in his prime with, you know, some sort of injury and off field concerns. So it for 70 million pounds, when we have a fantastic young player in that position and there are other guys that are less expensive that, you know, maybe you see a slightly riskier are out there. That just feels like pushing the boat out too far. And that's where the Odegaard rumor comes in. Tim, I'll come to you on this for a second because 
I think you would have said going into this summer, if you had to rank who we wanted most, Odegaard would have been top of the list in terms of who Arsenal wanted to get. And very early, it was sort of put out there like, that's gone, that ship has sailed. It certainly doesn't feel that way now, the way the, the reporting is going on on Odegaard. He is still very young. I think we need to remember that. And he had a bit of an injury hit loan spell with us. He impressed when he was fit in a team that was still sort of evolving and developing what it's going to be. I I think Odegaard is a very skillful, excellent player, a player who I'm not sure we can get or should get, but if we get him, I certainly won't be disappointed. I've always thought he was the guy we wanted. And while I'm not sure he or Madison are needed, I got to believe that for the money, for the age, for what I think his ceiling looks like, Odegaard is still the right guy to go for. And we, you know, we had a little taste of having him at the club. Seems like a good guy. So do you suspect that Odegaard always was the primary target and continues to be that? Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I'm actually not surprised at all by the way it sounds like the Odegaard thing is playing out. I think with Real changing manager, I think there was always going to be a sense of waiting and seeing and it probably going to come down to what they can do in the market, if anything, um, and how much how much Ancelotti actually rates him. I, I, I never thought they'd just sell him straight away. I always thought they'd perhaps give it pre-season and see see how much um, how much the Odegaard-Real Madrid thing is still alive or whether they need to raise funds somehow. I, I have to say personally, I'd pr- I, I'm not that interested in the Madison deal. And I'll tell you what, I mean, first of all, the price of it compared to what I think someone like Al would cost and probably what Odegaard would cost, although I don't think that would be cheap. There are, ju- there are just a few alarm bells for me with Madison. I, I think your point on his stats, Elliot, is is one. Like, I think he's a nice player, not a player I'd pay 60, 70 million for at all. And I, I just think, first of all, Leicester's willingness to sell him, if indeed there is, like, I mean, obviously, if the deal gets done, that means they're willing to sell him, right? And that worries me, particularly with his injury history of hip injuries, which... You know they they can they can really take their toll um, on players. We I think we saw that with Freddie Lundberg. He was never the same player after he had that hip surgery. And also there are there are some off pitch things with Madison that are, that are. I mean you know I don't think anything absolutely drastic, but he effectively lost um, his place in the England. Well, he he was com- obviously England have a lot of depth in this position, but he was completely bolted out of England because of you know off pitch issues. He's you know, he's run into some of those at Leicester as well. And I just wonder how that would fit with the non-negotiables thing. Albeit, it does sound like he's very, you know, he's a very committed footballer and he's very committed to his footballing education. So that 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 potentially allays some of those concerns, I guess. But I, I just think there are, like, I think Erdegaard is probably a better player than Madison and I reckon we can get him for less money if indeed he's available at all. So that that strikes me as a much better deal to do. The other thing that um, that I guess I'm thinking about as well is we've just invested in Smith Rowe like, quite a bit. We've given him the number 10 shirt. We've given him his contract and all of that. And look, that doesn't mean I, like, I still want us to sign someone in that position, but I don't want us to make the Aubameyang mistake again in terms of investing in someone, but just not having a plan for how to use them. Like, don't sign a Bamiyang on a massive contract, then put him out on the left wing again, and then move him up front, and then realise that you didn't really know what to do with him. Like, if you're going to commit to these guys, commit. 
Like, we've committed to Saka, right? We've done that properly. We gave him the contract. We gave him the number seven shirt. Bang, you're in the team. And, and like, there, there's just some halfway houses going on here with, like, Aubameyang and even Pepe investing all that money in him and then not quite going the full length and Saliba. And, yeah, I mean, we, we need someone... We need, like, competition stroke support for Smith-Rowe. I think spending seventy million on someone who plays his position would would really yeah, I, I just think it would it would add up to quite confusing thinking. Whereas we know Erdgaard can kind of play in the same team as Smith Rowe um, on occasion and it gives us some extra attacking options, particularly if you're gonna have a Bamiang up front, having Erdgaard and Smith Rowe in your in your front four makes a lot of sense because they're they're both chance creators, whereas um, yeah, Madison. I, I don't. I just don't quite see it like that. And that would be a really big ticket signing. And I think that would probably really, really drastically reduce Smith Rowe's playing time. Which, having made the com, you know, the decision to give him that contract and commit to him, I w- I would just find muddled thinking, and I'd find that quite worrying. Yeah, and I mean, I I love your point about committing to certain solutions, and that that doesn't mean you leave the cupboard bare. Again, I think you you look at the situation you're in. You say we only have the Premier League, really, and you know the domestic cups to some extent this season, and the, the, the FA Cup doesn't even come around until there's another transfer window. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to solve every problem right now if you feel okay about where you are with your current situation. I mean, watching the games, the, the preseason games, Smith Rowe just looks like he's ready to, to burst. And we we will get onto the Watford game a bit before we get out of here, Clive. Let's finish on this topic with you. It is a position that going into the summer, I'll admit, I thought was a priority. I've reevaluated. I'm not convinced it's a priority. I think if there's a guy we like that we can add to the sort of platoon at that position, we do it. But I don't know that I want it to be a mid-prime 70 million pound, the shirt is mine kind of player, especially when the output isn't. Illy. And I know people like James Madison. He's a classy player. I think it's worth pointing out also, I think on the Leicester side, he sort of faded down the stretch last season and was falling out of favor a bit, uh, as as did Leicester, which is sort of their, their way under Rodgers the last few seasons. So do you have a preferred way of solving this position, if it even needs to be solved at all? Uh, I struggle with this one a little bit. I have got a massively strong view. I'm, I'm prepared to see what the club are doing via whatever they decide to do. I think Tim's points are all great. I'm going to give you another scenario, right? So... I think this team lacks a bit of star quality. I, and I think, you know, I went to get my tickets for the weekend and there's loads available. <laughs> yeah, and, right. I, and I look at the... I'm looking at the teams, the other teams we're supposedly going to compete with, that when they get 10 points ahead of us, you're going to say, why are we not catching them up? Right, so I'm looking at what Liverpool have added. I'm looking at what City will add. I mean, we're looking at what Chelsea are preparing the room for. Right, and we we got to compete with these teams. Look at what Manchester United are just doing to their first 11. We've got to compete with these teams. And we, in our minds, we are just saying we could do it with 19, 20-year-olds. That's what we're really saying. They can't have a bad game. They can't have a pulled calf. And football doesn't work like that for me. I think you've got to look after their development. You've got to have people that are the, are the size of the club. Now, I'm not saying I'm against youth players, because you know I'm not. I probably talk about them more than anybody. I'm also don't want too much pressure on those young players. And there is things, I keep saying to you earlier, there's something called substitutions and how you start and end games. <laughs> and there's something called rotation. You know, and 
there are a couple of people that need to come out of the squad, absolutely. But I want to see Arsenal as a, a football team with a few good star, top quality players in them. You know, and okay, maybe we could have got a Jota for forty odd million. That sounds quite nice now. Do you know what I mean? What Liverpool did? Um, a goal-scoring attacking midfielder that can play multiple positions inside and out. That sounds really good. So I want a player that can play inside and outside. So you're not blocking any one player. And you can, you're not just a one-dimensional player that has to play in one position and we have to rotate around you. I think Odegaard's a stick on 10, which means Smith-Rowe goes out to the outside. I'd rather see a player that can play inside and out, which means you're not blocking anybody. And people have got a chance to play in different positions. You can rotate and you can create a different attacking phase week on week, which, as you know, every team gets analysed. If we got these players like Saka can play inside and out, like Smith Rowe, Martinelli's developing that. We can add another one. I think that's really, really good. You know, and basically you're looking at a a player that's going to take out Willian and Lacazette potentially. You know, and so I'm. I think we need something. I'm not afraid of Madison. You know, I've seen some recent interviews where he's said he's rested now, he's over his injuries, he needed a break. There are a few red flags. I think there's a rumour around him and Rogers falling out. I'm, I'm, I'm all right with it. I am. When I first met Tim, we were talking about getting Riyad Mahrez. And one of the reasons I wanted Riyad Mahrez at a time many years ago, he puts bums on seats and gets people lifting in the stadium. I want a bit of pizzazz. This is an entertainment. We are we are quite a functional side. You know, I want someone with a bit of flash and something that really does something for us. So I'm not against it. I'm not against it. But if it doesn't happen, I'm cool with it. But I don't think we should stay as is. Yeah. I think that we need to clear out some dead wood and, and add to the group. And remember who we're competing against. None of those teams are little flowers. They want to take our place. Teams are ganging up behind us. And I think we've got, we got to really compete. I think it always comes down to evaluation, though, right, Clive? Because, like, for me, if you ask me right now who's going to have more goals and assists this season, this season, James Madison or Emil Smith-Rowe, my money's on Emil Smith-Rowe. I think of him that highly. I think he's a better player. I think he'll have a better season. And I don't want to spend $70 million to bring that other guy in because I don't think he makes us better on a, on a starting 11 basis. And in a season where we have 38 games that matter... I don't want him taking Smith Rowe's spot. And I, you're right, injuries happen. You can look dumb. The question becomes, how much do you spend to have rotation, to have substitution, to have... Like, that's why... I, and I've said this before, so I'm getting into redundancy territory, so I want to be careful. But like, Awar at 20 million euros, who looks really talented, but he can be a rotational option. If he's playing great, he can start. If he comes in on 70 minutes, great. That's one thing. 70 million for Madison at 25 years old in his prime, where it's his shirt... I don't know. And, you know, you look at Liverpool the last two seasons. They had seven guys the last two seasons, seven, who started more than 31 or 32 Premier League games. I mean, that, you know, and not... They, not and they burnt not, out, didn't they? They burnt well, not included, well, I mean, but the two seasons ago, they won the title with, like, basically a record point total. Yeah. So, I, and they again, burnt, but they burnt that's out. not including the keeper. So, But they burnt out. That was their problem. They burnt out with their style of play and the amount of minutes loaded into their first 11. I agree. So, I'd take burning out like they did, though. <laughs> yeah, well, we all, we all would. There's, there's, a, there's a bigger story there, but but yeah. that is a problem for them. They burn out, and and we are we we well, Paul did a great job on this. We should be around 2,400 minutes max, right? And that's where we should be. And um, per player, we, we got we got to rotate. We have got to learn to rotate, and we got to get comfortable with rotation. We've all got our first 11s in our head, but it doesn't work like that anymore. 
Yeah, players don't play five great games on the bounce anymore. It's almost impossible. You've mm. got to have a level of rotation. It's just not. It's not the way sport is going. I keep trying to say this, but no one believes me because we forget. But you can tell, even Saka towards the end of last season was struggling. He faded. I mean, now, now he's a 19-year-old, though. So, And that's, see, you know, this is where it gets to be nuanced, and it is tricky. And, and Jess, I'll bring you back in here, which is just that, like, you can't start asking 19- and 20-year-olds to play 3,000 minutes every season. Look at Hector Bellerin. He had 3,000 minutes every season, four consecutive seasons, from his teenage years to his early 20s, blew his knee out, his career's done. Um mm. So, yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I, I guess just before we, we move off the transfer rumor thing and get to the game, th- this issue, and, and maybe it is a, a, a fantasy way, a, f- a FIFA video game way of thinking about it, where Pepe's our right wing and Saka's our left wing and Oba's our striker and Smith Rowe's our number 10 and Parties are our six and you know, we've got whoever else in center mid and Tierney's our left back. You know, you, you name the 11 and that's the 11 and go with like. I realize it doesn't work that way. And and trying to build a team that way, you can get punished. How do you balance players you really like who have the shirt versus bringing in that competition, that rotational option, that, that, that potential substitute and, and what you should spend to do that. Is it a case of if there's a player you like, spend the 70 million on him and let Smith Rowe go fight for the shirt. Or is that too simplistic? Oh, I think it's a little bit too simplistic. I tend to kind of agree a little bit more with Clive that we do. I think we. That's the easy way out. Agree with me. That's the hard way out. Try to do that. I mean. Make your living agreeing with me. See how that goes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but I do. (laughs) I do think that, you know, we maybe get a little bit too anxious about our young players and like if they don't play, what's going to happen. But 19 and 20 year olds don't naturally always start, you know, for teams that have aspirations of top four. Right. So I just, I almost feel like we need players to come in to not only lead them, but to keep them from having all of that, that pressure on them. So I just, I kind of feel like they're are opportunities to rotate, especially when it comes to Smith Rowe. He's the main player that I'm looking at as somebody that we need to be really careful with. Obviously with the injuries, we've already kind of spoke about that, but the weight of the number 10 shirt and feeling like I need to be able to get these goals. I need to get these assists. And quite frankly, at this point, I think we are maybe just a little bit projecting to about Smith Rowe. Like we know he's going to be this player, but is he that right now? I think he's still a season or so off of that. So in a Mm. season where we are under intense pressure to get into Europe, I'm not quite sure if it's the right thing to have pressure on Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka, you know, to to be those guys that are putting up those goals. Because right now we have an Aubameyang that doesn't look like he's, I mean, at the moment, I would say I would bet on maybe 10 to 15 goals right now. You know, so who's going to make That's a scary thought. who's, who's going to make those you. up? Like, you know, so what I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about from our if our aspiration was just to build a foundation, develop our young players and hope that we get into Europe. But it's OK if we don't. Then, of course, maybe you don't need to bring somebody in. But Arsenal's under immense pressure to get into Europe. And I just don't see those front pieces being able to to do that. You know, I just I think we're projecting just a little bit too far. So that's just me. And just one more point on the Odegaard thing. I just wanted to to also put out there that sure, he yeah. wants mm-hmm. a loan. 
Like there's rumors coming out that him, he wants a loan to Arsenal or, or somewhere else. And I have a little bit of apprehension about somebody coming in, using us for training to still go back to Real Madrid. So if it's not a permanent, I would say we need to look for a permanent option, whether that's Owa or Madison, because Odegaard for another a loan for another season, I don't think really solves our, our problems, to be honest. Yeah. And look, I realize listening to me explain why I don't want a 70 million pound Rolls Royce player from the Premier League who's English and homegrown and hitting his prime is pretty tedious. And I, I guess the, these debates tend to be the most heated at times, these debates about player evaluation. I don't know how good James Madison is. If he's as good as many of you listening think he is, it would be madness not to go get him. I'm just not convinced. And, you know, you make a really important point, Jess, which is Smith Rowe's 20. If he gets 1,500 minutes this season, that's not the end of the world. You know, if you go and you get a James Madison and he's getting 2,500 minutes for the next three seasons and Smith Rowe's getting 1,500, 1,800, and then Madison starts to go down to the you know 1,200 minute range, 1,000 minute range, and Smith Rowe's getting 25, 2,600 when he's 24, 25, 26. That's a perfectly, perfectly good plan. Um, you know, so I, I mean, it, it's not that I'm like, the problem with these debates is they wind up being, I'm against it or I love it. I'm not going to be upset if you get James Madison. <laughs> well, I, I look, I, see it, see it the way I see it, which is just that I love, I love the Smith. I think the Smith is goodness and light and will be excellent this season. Before we uh, take a quick break, Jess, Latoura Martinez, want, don't want, and how how likely? Not likely, but want <laughs> would want. I mean, obviously, the player is. I mean, he's. He's mustard. He's so good. He's Aguero, like in his prime. This is the type of player that if we wanted to play for, we want somebody to lead our lead our line. Can kind of play as a false nine. Can be a part of build up. Can beat his man and puts in so many goals. I mean, this is the type of player that for seventy million does transform you. So if you do have questions about maybe like spending seventy million on Madison, how much of a difference are we really going to see when you have somebody like Smith Rowe? You don't have that question with Lutero Martinez because. He's he's just that guy. He does change the trajectory of of the club. The the issue for me is just I'm not so much looking at Lataro Martinez. I'm looking at why we're looking at strikers. I have this sneaky suspicion that somebody is going to leave. Maybe like a Lacazette. Maybe we are in for a striker. And then so now I'm looking at a bombing. So for me, it's not so much about like because we're not getting Lataro Martinez, are we? <laughs> you know, I just can't see us convincing him. Even if Inter's like, yeah, give us that seventy million, but. I think there's some shift going on in the striker situation and we're going to have to look at it and how that's going to affect a bombing because like you, Elliot, although I think that it was a maybe a more quiet minority, I I did not think we should have re-signed a bombing, you know, and so if you bring in another striker, how does that affect him? You know, isn't Lacazette the better choice at the moment? So for me, it's just a bigger conversation about where we are with our strikers. How do we get the most out of them? And have we learned our lesson about maybe re-signing older players on big contracts because we're going to have a hard time shifting a bombing on if we wanted to and look at William, <laughs> you know, so yeah. that's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I think striker is one of those situations that really fits into that category of if we don't do anything about it now, it's probably okay, but we are going to need to do something about it relatively soon. And if there's someone we love now, it wouldn't be the worst time because then you can move on Lacazette. I, I like I don't think we can move on Lacazette if we don't get a striker this summer because I'm not convinced you can have a 32 year old Oba and then a couple of teenagers. 
Um, I guess Pepe could could play some striker, but that again, Pepe as a striker is notional. Martinelli as a striker is notional. Balogun as a striker has only ever played reserve football, so it's 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 a tough one. Um, Tim, since you do have some of that uh, South American football watching, do you have anything to add on Latour Martinez, the player? I mean, he yeah, he's great, and one one of the things he's really done for Argentina. Argentina went through loads of strikers since Tevez, some really good ones as well, Higuain, Aguero. None of them work with Messi because they all want to be the main man. They all want, um, you know, they all need to play in teams that set up chances for them. That's not the job of the Argentina striker. The job of the Argentina striker is to, is to be almost like an NFL style blocker and get everyone out of Messi's way. Um, and Martinez does that for Argentina pretty well. And he does something similar for Lukaku at Inter as well. Inter kind of been playing a 3-5-2. Lukaku's been in the form of his career because he's been in a front two with Martinez who who really takes um, attention away uh, and again kind of bulldozes people out the way for Lukaku who likes to run at, likes to run at defenders and he's, he's been a really good partner. And, and so he's someone who really helps others to shine. And I think, I think Martinez is much more in the mould of striker that Arteta would like to work with. And when you look at some of the wide forward talent Arsenal have got, like some of the links, depending on how true they are, the likes of Abraham, Martinez, that that really looks like he wants like he wants more of a Lacazette style than an Abamyang style. Like when Abamyang goes, I don't think Arteta's gonna look for the next Abamyang. I think he wants to look for an upgrade on Lacazette. Um and I think Martinez, you know, different type of player but still a facilitator of sorts and uh, I, I still do wonder if Arteta's looking at the squad and thinking I've got a lot of talent in the wide forward positions and what I'd really like is a striker that can help bring that out um, almost Liverpool style I guess if I can get you know if I can get a Mane and a Salah going out of Pepe, Martinelli, Saka um, then we could be in business uh, but uh, it's not going to happen in a million years I don't think um, unfortunately, but I do think that striker is is one of the the really interesting things to watch this summer. It is wild. I mean, you touch the flame, you learn to take your hand away from the flame, and yet somehow I feel like with transfers we just we just don't have that instinct. Arsenal are spending fifty million pounds on a center back, potentially thirty million pounds on a goalkeeper. We've already bought a not totally inexpensive central midfielder and a backup left back. We are linked with a 70 million pound number 10 and a 77 million pound striker. And we are convinced both could happen. It's like there is, there's got to be a limit unless Stan has just decided, Hey, you know what? This football thing's better when we win. I don't know that I believe that, but we'll see. You know what is better though? You know, when we all win, Clive, you know, when we all win, don't you? (laughs) We all win. When we feel our best, when we look our best, and when we are groomed our best. That's right. It's time to tell you about Manscaped. You can go to manscaped.com and use promo code ArsenalVision, save 20% off and get free shipping. Let me tell you something. So the other day, I was using the Lawnmower 4.0, and I was using it on eyebrows. Great. Comes with a guard, worked great. And did a little sideburn cleanup with it. Great. Worked great. And then, you know, did all the other stuff it does. And so... Then the funny thing is, I I had not shaved. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos I'd put out recently, but like I was pretty unshaved for a while, and then I decided I need to shave my face. And if you've ever shaved your face, um, you know when you try to use your regular razor, if you've let your beard grow out a little, it doesn't work very much. And I don't have like a, a beard trimmer, so I just use this thing on my face. Now look, 
You may say that there are certain things that shouldn't touch one part of your body and then another. We'll set that aside. But like, it did not nick anything. The neck, the underside, like I was able to get this thing trimmed down so I could shave off the rest of my beard, get nice clean shaving for a thing I had to do. It's just such an all-around great tool, the Lawnmower 4.0. It's got the, the ceramic blades, the skin-safe technology. It's waterproof. I love the button lock because the only thing that did happen to me once is it turned on in my bag and it ran down the battery. I had to charge it again. That won't happen anymore. It's got an LED light so you can see what you're doing. It goes right in the shower. I mean, look, you're sick of hearing me say it, but you know you're going to do your eyebrows or your sideburns or your chest or your privates or, you know, all of them. And this thing does it all, so just get it. Go to uh, manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision, you get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. And even though the name is manscaped.com, I want to emphasize that this is not a gendered device. It can work for anyone. And I am certainly not referencing anyone uh, who's on the podcast. I'm just saying that, you know, as we have expanded our group today to include, uh, you know, additional genders, this is a product that is for everyone. The less said about that, the better, as I wade into terribly uncomfortable waters. Go to uh, manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision, save 20%, get free worldwide shipping. Jessica, not enough of that. <laughs> that was so funny. It was cringy, <laughs> but it was great. That's enough. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that's what I was shooting for, so mission accomplished. Uh, I, well, I appreciate that. Look, let's let's cringe a little um, with the, the praise I'm going to heap on our players. It is preseason, and the one thing we want to do with preseason, Clive, is massively overreact to positive feedback. We got some positive feedback against Watford. Maybe not the whole game. I think it's fair to say that during the game, there was still a lot of the Arsenal moving it around, but not creating chances issues. And certainly Mohamed Elneny would like that pass back that led to the Watford goal. But towards the end, it looked really good. And I don't want to go deep dive on the game. We have a full reaction we did on the Patreon side. And it was, you know, a game shot by one camera that had to be wiped clean of raindrops every three minutes. So let's not overdo this. But I got to tell you, there are a few players right now that are just popping off the screen to me. I've already referenced Emil Smith-Rowe, but let's talk about Nicola Pepe. I see a player who finished last season strong, who seems to be having fun, connected to the team, having a good solid preseason. Maybe he wasn't always Arteta's guy, but it feels like that's changing. It feels like he's really poised to, to step into that position of leadership. He is the only attacking player at the club going into his prime. All the others are very young or post-prime. So do you see that that next step maybe coming from Pepe, the preseason hinting at it, and, and that this could be finally a year where he really looks every bit as good as we know he can be? Yeah, I think so. I think Pepe's part of the reason why Madison scares us, right? Because that number, that 60, 70 million number, we, we're we not sure about it. When we spend that sort of money, we're not, we're not really comfortable with it, really, regardless of our resources. And Pepe, you know, you know, even though I like that type of player, I've got to be honest, he hasn't always done it. There's been some games he disappeared, and sometimes I think he's been mistreated. I think he could have come in along a bit sooner if winning didn't happen, but it is what it is. And now he's here. And since this calendar year, maybe since Leeds, actually, he's been fairly consistent. And for me, it's the level of responsibility he seems to be taking. When Aubameyang doesn't play, he does well. When Aubameyang does play, he does well. He seems to be developing a different level of engagement and seniority. And um, he seems like an easygoing guy that wouldn't take that sort of leadership role, but he seems to be really owning his space and owning his role on the ball. And I didn't expect that from most of you. I just thought he was a nice, flashy YouTube player with super skills that we could just carry as a luxury scorer, creator. But leadership, responsibility, 
I'm liking it. I'm, I'm liking what we're seeing. And um, those sort of players, those lefties coming off the right with that level of trickery, then they don't come along too often. You know, they, that's why they're quite sought after. You know, people like that inverted player that comes inside and can really threaten. We've spoken about him in the past, where he should be in the five channels. We saw same with Smith Rowe, where they really rotated nicely and created some good overloads and overlaps there. I think there's still more to come once we free him up and let him roam and travel. If we let him do that, I think on the ball, I think he's sensational. His passing's improved. Decision-making's improved in small spaces. I just think he's a, he's, a, he's a player I like. I'm really biased. I love those type of tricky carriers. Mm-hmm. So if, as soon as I see him, I just like him. Well, you got to tell me. you got to tell me why they're not good. But I have to accept he hasn't always been good. But he is now. And he's here. And um, I think if this is his moment, I wonder if he'll sign another contract at Arsenal. That's what I've been thinking about. Is this his third year now? So yes, yep. around mm-hmm. the season is going to be. I wonder how people feel. You know, was it a contract time, or is it can we claw back some money time? I think it's going to be a really important year for him, as for all of us. So that'd be interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, I think this this is such a pivotal year because we see a progression and now the next step would really be to sort of an elite place. His goal contributions are good. He needs to do it consistently. And some of that's on Arteta, right? Saying, okay, you've proven to me you can do this. Now I'm going to give you a regular chance to go out there and prove it game in, game out. Um, I, I think they seem like they're you know, on the same page right now. It's hard to tell from preseason, but certainly towards the, t- towards the tail end of last season. Tim, I, I guess... It is a question, though, I mean, how this attack is going to shape up because Saka will come back and presumably get a spot, whether it's on the left or the right, so be it. Martinelli will come back, and hopefully Arteta will give him a few more chances. But it is also the possibility that Lacazette will stay and he'll be striker. Aubameyang would play on the left again. I know people maybe are tired of that, but that situation up front is an interesting one, and I'm curious, looking at... Aubameyang, I don't want to say struggling in preseason. I think when you're 32, preseason's about getting your fitness more than it is banging in the goals. But Lacazette looks so sharp. Are you inclined to suggest that as it stands right now, and remember, Lacazette has a few, you know, Aubameyang has a few years on Lacazette. He's, a, you know, Lacazette's a bit younger, still a bit closer to his prime. Are you inclined to say he's a player we still need in the group, given the sort of gap between Lacazette and Aubameyang and then everybody else who could play that position? Yeah, it is a really interesting one up front. And I think essentially the dilemma is, first of all, we've got two strikers who we spent a lot of money on and and are nominally first-team quality. And they're both completely different to one another. So they can't even... like So not only can they not really play together comfortably, they can't even rotate comfortably because they do completely different things. And I, I think the setup around them needs to be quite different. I think if you're playing Lacazette, you you know, you play Martinelli and... Pepe as, as your wide forwards potentially or Saka and um, and either Pepe or Martinelli as your wide forwards and have them really providing like the goal threat and perhaps Lacazette arriving, teeing them up and then arriving a little later in the box, which I think he's better at. If you're playing a Bamiyang, then a situation where let's say we get Erdegaard or, or an other at number 10 and Smith row wide, that makes a lot more sense because they're going to be focused on creating chances for him. So the the problem we've got is we've got a lot of um i think we've got a lot of talent in attack it it doesn't necessarily fit together easily and there aren't a lot of analogs either like when you take a guy out the other guy does something quite different 
Um, like I and and you know, like effect and and we're a team that we need to score a lot more goals next season. We're not talking like 10, 15 more goals. We need, th- you know, 30 more goals, um, really, if, if we're talking, unless our defence is really, really good, we're talking about going into the top four. So we need to score a lot more. So, like, it feels uncomfortable taking a Bamiyang out when you need loads of goals. I mean, really, if you're going to play someone like Lacazette up front, and and we shouldn't dismiss his goal threat. He was the top scorer last season, um, after all. So he's not completely without goal threat himself. But I think you, then you, then you need goals from midfield to offset that. So where do you get those from? Because other than Joe Willock, they're not really in the squad. So it, it's really I I think that is the most fascinating thing about next season. I think um, we kind of know who the first choice defence is probably. Um, once, if and when we sign the Xhaka replacement, we know what the midfield looks like. It's the attack that we don't quite know. And I'm comfortable mm. with having like six really good players for four positions or seven really good players for four positions. That's fine. But I, I still just can't quite think of one combination of them that really works, though. That That's the problem. Um, and really, what I think what's happening, um, I guess to put a more positive slant on to finish, is... The young guys look all right, right? Saka mm-hmm. and Smith Rowe yep. fit in pretty much any way you want them to. Um, Saka's got end product and a bit of creativity. Smith Rowe's got creativity, can play wide and 10. Those guys aren't a problem. They're not square pegs. Um, you know, pe- really, I, I guess it kind of comes down to can you have Pepe and Abamyang? Um, two guys who are really just about end product. Can you have Pepe and Martinelli? Like Pepe, Martinelli and Abamyang, can you have two of those in your forward line? Um, mm. You know, let alone all three, definitely not all three of them. Can you get two of them in? And if so, how do you set that up? And it's there's there's just so many unanswered questions. And honestly, there's a couple of those attackers who aren't bad players that I think we've just got to wait out um, yeah. and kind of bleed them out in another year and then because like the defense in the midfield I feel like is beginning to take shape and we can see what Arteta wants but attacks not there yet despite the fact that we're a very top heavy squad it's very um it's very contradictory essentially we created a lot of difficult situations to extricate ourselves from with the way this squad was built but maybe none more difficult than spending 50 and 60 million pounds in consecutive windows on two strikers in roughly the same age band right who don't really have the ability to play together there's no easy way to unwind that and i think we could have unwound it more easily as we've said by not resigning obamiang um but it is going to naturally unwind itself over the next few seasons. How you fill in behind that is going to be an interesting problem to solve. Jess, one of the the fun moments of this game against Watford, though, was was Aziz coming on and, and scoring a really nicely taken shot from outside the box. I don't think he's going to get that kind of space or time when the Premier League starts in earnest, and I don't think he's going to be on the pitch much this season. But looking at him, he certainly... You know, I remember seeing him play for the reserves a bit and thinking, oh, that kid looks pretty good. He could be good someday. He doesn't look like a kid anymore, does he? I mean, you saw the pictures going around of his leg muscles. He just looks like he's grown, like he's filled out, like he looks more ready for men's football. And he had a nice little moment there. I mean, was that sort of one of the the fun moments of the game for you? And when you look at sort of the way he's developing physically now, do you see someone who maybe is slightly closer to first-team football than we might have thought? Yeah, for sure. I think Aziz is somebody that I've been hoping to see a little bit more of because – 
so many people talk so highly of him. Yeah, he does look like he's done a lot of work in the offseason to to increase his physicality. Obviously, the pictures of the difference between what he looked like just a year ago and now is like actually insane. But I think I'm I'm happy to see young players that play in key positions for us coming through. We lack central midfielders. We we create a lot of attackers. We don't have a lot of like actual central midfielders that can play in a pivot. I know Aziz used to be like a num- number 10. Now they're moving him back into the number six role. I think that's important because obviously we need more bodies there. I think the only thing for me is that I think he's close enough where if somebody were to say that he would you know maybe fill in the Guendouzi role or just be kind of like a rotational option, we'd be okay with that. But it's probably not the best for his development. Probably in a year or so Mm. after a season-long loan, somewhere where he'd get about 30 games of men's football, you know, you're thinking, wow, he could be really, really good for us in a year or so. So, like, selfishly, I would love to see Aziz get some minutes in the Carabao Cup and, you know, be a rotational option with with Sambi. But, you know, I think he needs a good, solid loan. But I think he's also ready for it. But just seeing a little glimpse of him and seeing how much he's progressed in terms of at least his physicality. I mean, even the hairstyle is different. I'm, I'm loving it. You know, um, I'm excited for this guy. I think Clive referenced that yeah. as well. <laughs> Not on the Patreon Yeah, part. so yeah. I'm excited about his Sorted out his hair, I think, was the exact quote. Yeah. But I think that he could, you know, do with a loan, like even at a lower level Premier League team, you know, assuming that's not us. <laughs> Just joking, you guys. But um, a lower <laughs> lower level Premier League team um, or even a good championship team and see where he is in a year. And maybe he could step in, you know, for El Nenny, who looks like he might still be here. Happy about that, Elliot? Or <laughs> Oh, you know I am. I support all the boys that pull the shirt on. Yeah. Definitely excited about it. <laughs> that's, where I'm, that's where I'm at. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so, so I, I guess... I guess what I would say is that the the last thing that's kind of interesting, you look at the players that aren't in the squad, you look at Willock, you look at Shaka, and I think it's fair to say the intent is to move those guys on. You look at some of the players that are playing, Nketia, Maitland-Niles, Nelson, I think that leaves open to question what will happen. I mean, we, we did talk a little bit about Stryker being a weird one. Maybe it is the case that Nketiah gets one more season at Arsenal just to kind of be the emergency break, you know, break glass in case of emergency striker. Maybe Maitland-Niles is someone that we don't have a reasonable offer for and gets a chance to fight for a place at some role or just becomes a utility guy who comes in and plays in a lot of positions because, I don't know if you noticed, but Cedric is not looking particularly good. There's a shock. Uh, Hector Bellerin still, to me, looks like someone who is really struggling to get back to being ready to play football at an elite level. So we've got Callum Chambers at right back, and then question mark, question mark. So some of those things, I think, still to be decided. The Chelsea and the Spurs games coming up, I think will give us a better sense of where Arteta's head is in terms of the pecking order at a lot of these positions. But Clive, I think a last thing that I want to sort of just pluck out from this game is that you know Thomas Party looks excellent this preseason, which is great to see. Smith Rowe the same, Pepe the same. But one guy who's had a chance to come in and play a lot in these you know sort of early-ish preseason games is Sammy Lakanga, a guy who I think we have nailed on as backup player this season, but... I see a very well-rounded midfielder who looks very smooth on the ball, very silky, distributing it progressively, receiving on the half turn, central space access, which we don't, you know, haven't always gotten from our midfielders. I'm not saying I want to go into the season with this guy as the first choice next to party, but I'm also prepared to reevaluate my presumption that he's exclusively one for the future. As you watch him in an Arsenal shirt, which is always a little different from seeing the 
the video clips playing for Anderlecht and so on. Do you see someone who's maybe more ready for first team action this season than we presumed? Yeah, I think when, when we were linked to him, I, this, he was in the Belgium squad, wasn't he, pre the Euros? Didn't quite make the squad. But as soon as we were linked with him, I started to sort of listen to what they were saying. And they were saying that he'd come up to training and he's handled it really, really well. And that Belgian squad, rightly or wrongly, is voted the number one team in the world. So if he's handling training at the intensity of those guys, that made me think, okay, we normally have four centimetres for two positions. I don't think you're coming to Arsenal to be number four. You're probably going to be number three. You know, so and that's where I see him. We just haven't got number two. <laughs> we got the main man. We got Elneny's insurance policy, and you know, and a mentor to these guys. He shows a great attitude, I believe, in the club. He's very, very popular. And we got the number three guy, the talent guy, just the guy that comes on when we're winning two 0 You know, and so that's that's what we've got. And he looks, he's, his game is really easy to see, isn't it? It's really easy to see how he plays and. And he plays, he plays a really educated game, uh, a bit like um, Aziz, really. A really educated game at the base of the midfield, just pushing the ball around nicely. But he's got the ability to switch it down the middle as well, not just go to the outside. So not bad in the challenge, moves really smoothly. And he, as the ball arrives to him, he just my heart rate drops. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's a that's all I can say for now. I feel like if your heart rate dropped, Clive, you'd either be asleep or <laughs> like a, in, in a coma. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's very important when you when you watch. I, I, I said this yesterday on the Patreon pod, but I, I love preseason, and and the reason why I love it is you can really scout people, but you can scout people without the pressure of points, without any, it meaning anything, without you having the seven pints of Cronenberg and then really wanting to win. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just the <a> seven? <laughs> slow, slow day, um, I guess. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, it, there's, there's lots of variables that go, particularly when you go and watch live, that make you tense. And when, even when you're not watching live, I'm honestly you know, incredibly tense every game is now compared to what you used to be when I was younger. And you can just watch these guys and see what they like doing. So when you come back from pre-season, what you normally do when you come back the things you do really well come to the surface immediately. That's who I am. They come back quicker. And you sharpen up and you develop your other skills as you go through your training. And maybe we talk about um, Tavares yesterday, and he's a very quick, lots of speed, stamina. Lots of speed, stamina. But he hasn't got a lot of speed agility at the moment. Mm. So he's got to work on that. So his speed, stamina is there. 30 yards, 40 yards, 20 yards, bang, it's there. That's who I am. Now people are moving me around. I've got to work on that. Do you see what I mean? He's not the end of the world. And so when you see Lakonga, you think, okay, you're nice. You can play slip passes. What happens when people push you back into your box? Can you get up in the air? Can you go and get people? Can you go and engage? Not sure yet. We haven't seen it. So we can watch this and really sort of learn about it. So um, I'm impressed with these, with both those bikes yesterday, but I'm impressed in how we're scouting at the moment. You know, but the problem, <laughs> the problem is, I think there's more, I think there's more to come here. I think we're going to have to play a sort of a longer card. English players, premium, got to spend. Some of the foreign players in Europe, there's some bargains to be had. Ben White, got to do it. If you want to do Ramsey, go do it. The price is not coming down. Simple as that. Homegrown rules dictate it. Different market. But if you hold on, if you hold on, there's some bargains out there because some of those European clubs have literally got no food in the cupboards. And they're just pretending with the prices at the moment. And they are going to tumble. And we've got to hold on. It may not suit our 
agenda and our process. We want it all sorted. But we hold on. I think there's some real bargains out there on players we may not even know at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch how this develops in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I agree. One quick note, Tyrese John Jewell's going to Blackpool on loan, and I think this is sensible, right? If you have players that don't necessarily look like they're going to make it at the first team level, go send them somewhere where they can put themselves in a shop window, earn a career for themselves, earn a fee for the club. Tim, we'll get out of here simply by saying it is it is approaching that that season that Jessica <laughs> mentioned is is not far off. We do have uh, Chelsea on Sunday. I think we'll start to see a little more of of how Arteta envisions the team early in the season, minus uh, Bukayo Saka, minus uh, Gabriel Martinelli, and, and potentially Ben White. I mean, I imagine by the time I hit publish on this, that's when they'll announce Ben White. But we've talked about him a lot, and we got more content in the can, as they say, ready to go for that, so no problem. Looking ahead to the next 10 days or so, do you want to just quickly give me what you think needs to be ironed out to start to feel like we're on the final approach to the season. Is there is there an issue or two, a position or two that you think, yeah, get that sorted out, and then I feel like we're ready for this thing to kick off? Um, I mean, <laughs> there's quite a few. Um, but I, I think, like, quite a while ago, I, I settled on the idea that quite a bit of our business would be done towards the end. Um, and and I, I even think now, even if we got, like, um, that midfielder in, for example, um, how ready would they be for Brentford anyway? Uh, probably Chelsea, Man City. But then do you really want guys making their debuts against Chelsea, Man City? Like, I kind of think that potentially we've gone past that point um, anyway. So probably for the first three games, we're, we're kind of looking at what we've got. Um, maybe for the City game, we'll have a, a couple more in. Um, the, the thing I'm really interested in, though, I'm, I'm, I'm going on Sunday um, to the Chelsea game. Um, as as an app as an apatorif because um, I'm I'm actually going for the women's game. Of course you are. Um, <laughs> um, but so you know I'll, I'll do my work on that and then I'll just I'll just watch the men's game afterwards I guess um, before I slink off home. And um, but but the thing I've been quite interested in pre season, admittedly I haven't seen the Watford game is Lukonga. Lukonga's the one I've been really really watching. And I do think something can happen in pre-season, um, either for young guys or new signings. And I think Paul alluded to this, actually, in the kind of the Watford Patreon pod you did, which was sometimes a guy really can break through in pre-season and sometimes someone that you don't expect. I reckon a week or two ago, Arteta would have been thinking, right, it's probably going to be party on any first game of the season. I reckon Lukonga's at least in his mind now. Um, and so... I I wouldn't be surprised at all if um you know we see Lukonga playing this this kind of Chelsea game and Arteta thinks okay let's see what you do here and if you play well here you might play your, your way into that Brentford starting lineup which is not to say that then Lukonga will become like the party partner in perpetuity but for those first few games a player like him he should re- he should really be saying okay may- maybe you know when they buy Guimaraes Locatelli whoever yeah I kind of shuffle back in the queue but there's a shirt for me for Brentford, and I want it. And uh, and that that's the player I'm most interested in because that's a position we're probably not going to get sorted. And so who we play in those first couple of games alongside Party, I, I think Elneny should be sweating um, about his place. I mean, he should be anyway, frankly. But I, I think Lukonga is, is a player I've watched with, with some keenness, and he's the player I think I'll watch the most um, in the Chelsea game. 
Yeah, and it doesn't help that, you know, it's it's El Nenny who makes the error for their goal in this game, and then, you know, Lakanga comes on and, and looks smooth and, and slick once again. And I think, I, I know I keep reiterating it, and I'm not usually the soft factor guy, but when you bring in young players, sometimes one of the things you think is, mentally it takes time to adjust to the level. But when you've got a young player who was captain of his team at that age, and, and not a small club, Anderlecht, I think it tells you there's a little something special about who this guy is. And if you look at the social media account, there's a lot of Lakanga stuff on the Arsenal Twitter today, for example. The club kind of gets it when there's a player rising in the estimation of the manager, the fans. And for them to be putting out Lakanga hype on the main, you know, social media channels, I think it tells you he's he's kind of capturing the imagination a little. Tim, just real quick, though, if I said to you the two things that sort of need to fall into place, forget transfers, just sort of selection-wise, mm-hmm between now and the start of the season. You mentioned the Lokonga one. I'll give you two positions. Tell me if you agree that the, these are the ones that feel most up in the air. Right back and left wing. Mm-hmm. I, I think yep. right now I couldn't tell you who who's in the pole position for those for those spots against Brentford. Yeah, completely agree. I, I hope it's Chambers at right back, but yeah, same. wouldn't Weirdly surprise same. me if it's, if it's Cedric. <laughs> Le- left wing, I think you're right. There's a, there's a bit more scope there. I still wouldn't be at all surprised if it's a Bamiyang. Um, with Lacazette up front, uh, wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. In fact, I, I kind of think that's most likely. I mean, really, it's because Martinelli's not there and Saka's not going to be there. It's either going to be Willian or Aubameyang, isn't it? Could it be um, Saka, though? Could it be a case of, of Arteta just being like, you're great, I love you, you don't need practice, you're my you're my guy? I, I mean, it could be. I hope not, though. Um, I, take point, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think that would be the right thing to do. I, I don't see that happening because he's not back in training yet and I, I don't think he's due back in until I don't know may, maybe even a fortnight so I I can't really see that I, I think I mean he's he's played quite a bit with Lacazette and Aubameyang hasn't he mm-hmm. um, I can't see it being Reese Nelson so it, it's going to be Willian or Aubameyang um, and I, I tend to think it's most likely and unless he plays Smith Rowe out there and puts Willian in the 10 you know Willian has played 10 a lot in pre-season but I honestly I tend to think that's just because He's he's a spare body. We have a spare <laughs> position there at the moment. Thankfully, a little bit less of a spare body as he seems to be working his way into playing shape, at least. <laughs> well, yeah, he's a spare tire, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's better. Yeah, I should, <laughs> should have done that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree. Look, it is preseason is one of those times where we we overreact a bit and then we reel ourselves back in. But I think this next game against Chelsea will have a chance to start to make slightly more concrete appraisals of things. Um, you know, and it's going to, it's going to be interesting when Martinelli and, and Saka get back and when Ben White joins the group to see how that shakes out. But yeah, I, I, for one think that today the rumors are all kind of fun and interesting. I'm glad we got a chance to go through them. I'm glad we got to do it with Jessica Black. You can find her on Twitter at it's Jessino and you should watch her great, uh, YouTube show slash podcast. Uh, she knows Arsenal. Jessica, thank you. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And I should mention, uh, we'll also be seeing you in Vegas. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop, indeed. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but I think it's a good thing. Clive's on Twitter, at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter, Sobro. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. I will just let you know, uh, if you've been in our merch shop thing and you wanted any of the Smith stuff, which I thought was fire, personally, we're down to, like, one of each size of that. Uh, so that's the one that if you if you had an interest in it, go grab one. There's some pictures of it on social media, too, about how it came out. came out looking great. So in any event, uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We will have uh, Ben White stuff that we can put out the minute Ben White is actually signed. 
Scott did an amazing pod with uh, Carlin Carpenter, an analytics. Uh, he's a professional like video scout and an analytics guy and talking about last season at Arsenal and the upcoming season in Ramsdale. So you can listen to that if you want. But most importantly, we're just glad you're here. We really love you. We really appreciate you for being a part of this as my uh, mouth and tongue stop working. So I should probably tie this one off here. So I will say what I always say, which is we love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Chelsea, now. 